You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity yet to check out Go Wild, you need to do so. It's an app that goes on your mobile device, and it's similar to Facebook and Instagram, except it's 100% outdoor-focused. And when I say outdoors, I mean hiking, camping, hunting, fishing, and everything else that you do outside. Uh, That's the outdoor community that kind of lives within Go Wild. So be sure to check it out, and you can do that two ways. One, go to the Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps and download it to your your mobile device and uh, start playing around with it. Second, go to their website, timetogowild.com. They have a ton of great information on the website explaining what the app is all about, the community that they're involved with, and lastly, some really cool things uh, coming down the pipe from Go Wild, especially one notable one, a partnership with Garmin and some of their devices and how uh, Go Wild and Garmin devices are going to interact. Some really cool and exciting things. So go to the website, download the app, and get outside because it's time to go wild. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 15. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, temperatures are dropping significantly here in uh, the state of Michigan and the lower peninsula, especially northern Michigan. There's pretty much safe ice on most inland lakes in northern uh, lower peninsula Michigan. Um, I think downstate might still be a little sketch, but other than that, um, there's great opportunities here in Michigan to get out there and start getting on that hard water safely in the, in the northern part. But let's get into today's episode. Episode number 15, I welcome my guest, Forrest Leach. Forrest is my buddy from over in Minnesota in the Ottertail County area. And he's part of the Hang Loose Outdoors crew over there. And the reason why I got Forrest on today is him and the boys just got back from what looks to be a very successful lake trout trip uh, through the ice up there in Canada. And Forrest kind of goes over everything that they did to dissect the body of water they were fishing, uh, the areas of the lake that they decided to, uh, to target these fish in and exactly what they did to get them topside. So we go over a lot of techniques, lures, setups, and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully you guys can walk away with what those guys did. If you ever decide to target this species, it'll make you more successful. We also talk a little bit about Malax, how that body of water is doing, and he gives a little backstory on the, the debate out there. Then we get into the tiller life. And the tiller life, what that means is we both have tiller boats, and that's what we fish out of. And we just talk about the benefits of it, why we like it. I know it's getting to that time of year where, where anglers are kind of looking at maybe either upgrading their boats, selling, and getting something different, and why a tiller might be the right fit for you. And uh, we just give our advice of, of, of why it works for us, and hopefully you guys uh, can find that beneficial as well. So let's get into it with Forrest. Here we go. Hello. Okay, yeah, we're good, man. We're doing good. Everything Perfect. sounds sounds good. So were you out last night fishing? Uh, last night I was out for just a bit. Yeah, I was uh, doing a little crappie fishing actually in Ottertail County. Oh, how'd you do? Did you good? Uh, it was all right. You know, I caught a few smaller fish, none of the big ones I was after, but, you know, it's still good to be out. All right. 
You've been getting out a lot, I see, lately, huh? Uh, as much as I can, anyways. Uh, we've been having kind of a stretch of pretty cold weather here, which has kind of made it a little tougher, but uh, still finding time to get out. Yeah, dude, we're getting some of that right now. It's like, I think today our high, I mean, this is for Michigan. It's nothing like Minnesota like you guys got, but like I think today's like high is like 11 degrees, and with wind chill, it's minus four. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be happy with that almost today. I woke up and I looked through social media and about every other post was someone, you know, sharing their thermometer and it was uh, 25 below to 30 below was kind of a lot what I was seeing. Ah, oh, damn, that just hurts, doesn't it? Pretty, yeah, pretty rough out here. But. Do you have a permanent shack out there or are you like hauling something behind your sled? Nope, I just had my, my hub house, so. Oh, okay. Was, uh, so Otter Tail, oh, that's where we went for two years ago for the, the JT outing, right? Yep. Yeah, I was actually not too far from the lake through fishing down there. So. All right, cool. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on to do this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hey, so, you know, usually with all my guests, I always, I think it's helpful for folks to just know a little bit about you, where you're located, how you grew up fishing, and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to get into that, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, right now I live in Moorhead, Minnesota. That's where I was born and raised. Um, so I grew up fishing kind of the Detroit Lakes, Ottertail County area. Really, the uh, the closest area to me that has a good majority of lakes in it. Um, there are some good lakes, you know, to the west out in North Dakota, but kind of the closest concentration of good lakes is that area. So that's where I <clears throat> grew up spending a lot of time fishing. I uh, grew up fishing with my dad. He's who really got me into it. <clears throat> that's how I got started. Um, we grew up doing a lot of pike fishing, a lot of pan fishing. Um, and as I've gotten more and more into fishing, I've transitioned into more species. Um, and kind of now I'm mostly focused on walleye musky fishing um but also you know expanding into new things every year yeah have you ever always done all types of fishing like ice fishing open water is there a certain way you cut your teeth first on like say open water um open water what i remember kind of my earliest memories of fishing was we'd troll a lot of pike with spoons just trolling weed edges <clears throat> just with the gas engine you know probably going two three miles an hour just cast a spoon out behind the boat and you know pike after pike um that's something i really remember growing up um, same thing in the winter. We did a lot of pike fishing, um, mostly dark house spearing actually. Gotcha. And and that's kind of like your, your fishing has evolved to, I know you, like you said, a lot of different species now, what are your, let's say top three species that you typically like to target nowadays? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, it was probably five, six years ago. Now I could really transition into, you know, focusing a lot more on fishing, spending a lot more of my time on it and really kind of learning the technical side of it and getting really into it and that's when i really got into walleye fishing okay. um, i love the challenge of it and all the different aspects you can you know take on it um so walleyes are probably the number one species i fish for and one of my favorites um right after that would have to be muskies i spend a lot of time on them in the summer and the fall um there's just something about the challenge you know and that potential of a you know 55 inch fish at any second um, and thirdly is some that I'm really new to. I'm actually just caught my first one not long ago, but lake trout. They're just, I just got into it and I have a feeling I'm going to be spending a lot more time on them in the future. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Cause that's why one of the main reasons why I brought you on the podcast today, you guys just got back from your lake trout fit, uh, trip. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but before we get into that, uh, attacking the, um, challenge of going after musky, like, you know, say you're a walleye guy, like you were, or still are. And then how was that process transitioning over to try to catch musky? Because, you know, they always say it's a, it's a fish of every 10,000 casts. 
is it extremely grueling and do you have to be really patient like everyone talks about? Because a lot of guys give up on it after a while when they keep trying and keep trying. And just talk a little bit about what that transition was like for you to, to get into muskie fishing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when they say fish a 10,000 casts, they really aren't kidding. It's a, it's definitely a process and you have to be patient. Um, my first, you know, first full season of targeting them, I didn't land a single fish. Um, you have to be able to grind through that and, you know, have that mindset that even though it might be multiple trips, even between bites you get, it's always going to be worth it. Just that challenge and what you do actually get with the reward of getting a fish that big. I mean, I kind of got into it because I had been fishing walleyes for a few years and I wanted to feel that same feeling of when, when you first start chasing a new species, just the being completely new to it kind of figuring every single thing out. You know, I had walleyes, you know, I, I'm not nearly, don't have them nearly figured out yet, but I mean, that initial figuring everything out and being so new to everything, that's kind of what I was looking for. The muskies were that species that I kind of went to. Um, and just that challenge of trying to learn them is just so much fun. If you were to give advice for folks who want to get into muskie fishing or start, where would you suggest they kind of start with? let's say a rod and reel and just a brief setup. Um, I would go with either a heavy or an extra heavy rod. Um, something in the eight, six to nine foot range, you know, a longer rod is going to give you more flexibility of baits you can use with it. It's a little bit easier on the person casting it. You don't get as fatigued as with a shorter rod. Um, you can kind of, you know, control a wide range of baits with it from top waters, bucktails, some of the smaller rubbers, um, so if you did only want to use, you know, one combo, probably an eight, six to nine foot extra heavy would be a really good setup. Um, and another thing would be whether you do it with a guide or just with someone that you know that muskie fish, okay. go out and spend just even just half a day with them just to get a lot of the basics down, you know, how to do a good figure eight, kind of what to look for. It just, you pick up so much from being out with someone that's more experienced. And for the real setup, Bait caster versus spinning, I know, is a fast retrieval pretty important in muskie fishing? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there are a, a lot of techniques and tackle you're using where you want to be able to burn it and do a really good fast retrieve. Okay. Uh, you don't see very many spinning setups in the muskie angling community. Every once in a while, some guys might use like a big saltwater spinning setup, say if they're bobber fishing with suckers, but I'd say, you know, 95% of it's bait casters. Okay. Yeah, man, there's some, uh, there's some muskie up here by me and Lake St. Clair isn't too far away. I can make a day trip there. I know that's a big muskie factory, but it's definitely, I've never, I've never caught one and it's something I want to try to get into. So that's just, you know, a couple, couple questions that, that I had to get set up. And I heard you also need to like work for a long time because all the tackle is very expensive and the baits. <laughs> yeah. It's not like going out and <laughs> buying a $7 jigging wrap or whatever, you know, there's, there's kind of a called following kind of a collection of musky baits that some guys will get into it, you know, almost to just collect and not even to use that can be upwards of, you know, $200. It's kind of ridiculous. All right. Okay. So, you know, I want to, you were talking about your recent love of lake trout and, um, you know, briefly describe the trip that you guys just got back from. And just, I guess, first off, who did you go up with there with the hang loose crew? Yep. I went up with uh, a group of friends, kind of the group that I'm involved with hang loose outdoors. Um, we went up to Brown's Clearwater West Lodge, um, which is located, I believe the nearest town is Atticoke in Ontario. Okay. Um, so it's not from my house over in Moorhead here. It's about a seven hour drive um, from Grand Rapids where the rest of the hang loose guys live. It's only four and a half hours. So a fairly, 
you know, you can make a weekend out of it if you wanted to. It's not a big adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it felt like a big adventure to me because we got to go way up into the, you know, kind of the backwoods of Ontario here. And when we did fish, it was, you know, a 10 to 15 mile snowmobile ride each day. It wasn't just driving the truck out to your spot. Oh, damn. So it was a, it was a lot of fun doing that, you know, kind of backcountry style fishing. Um, that lodge is a really nice place to go. It's kind of all, all alone on the lake. There's no other resorts or lodges or anything like that. And they've got a good selection of a few cabins to stay at. So that's what we did. We got one of their cabins. Um, so it was a really good, good setup. Okay. And before we get too much into the fishing, just tell folks real quick what the hang loose crew is in case they were wondering. Yeah. Hang loose, um, outdoors is just kind of a group of us guys, like I say, mainly in the Grand Rapids area, but we're kind of scattered throughout. Um, and, kind of our main thing we do is just share on social media or our website kind of just our outdoor adventures and just sharing with people that either don't have the opportunity to do it or maybe newer to fishing and want to have stuff to look at where they say oh i kind of want to do that that looks really cool we just kind of share what we're doing share with people we also do have a guide service by the same name that's mainly based out of grand Rapids area um, and kind of what that focuses on is more of if you want to learn a specific lake in the area, we'll take that lake and we'll kind of break it down with you. Or if you want to learn a specific technique, you know, we'll find a lake that that technique's really hot on and we'll help you learn that technique. Oh, that's cool, man. How long have you guys been, how long have you been with Hangless? Uh, I've been with the group two or three years now. They've been uh, established for quite a bit longer. You know, uh, Brock Anderson and Randy Topper were kind of the initial uh, group members, I guess. Oh, cool. All right, so you group of guys all got together. You went up to Canada to this resort, and then you guys drove out to different lakes, or what lake was it? Specific, or I mean, you don't have to tell the exact lake, but there's it's just surrounded by these these lakes that hold these lake trout. Right, um, Brown's Clearwater West Lodge is located on Clearwater West Lake, okay, right on the south end of that lake. So that's where we'd start every day. Um, and some of the days we did fish on that lake, but then there's a couple other lakes you can portage to, um, White Otter. Sanford, uh, Gray Trout, you know, there's just a variety of lakes um, that all do have lakers. Um, And a few of the other lakes you can go to, um, some we didn't do on this trip, but we're looking to do in the future. There's other lakes in the area that have uh, Splake or Brook brook Trout. So just from that lodge, you know, you have various options for what you want to fish for. Okay. And I don't know if you know this or not. Are these lake trout that you guys are going after, these are all, you know, wild, naturally reproducing lake trout, right? Right. Yep. It's all, all natural. Okay. Yeah. Just the reason I say that, cause sometimes here in Michigan, lake trout are stocked and you know, you'll catch one with one of the, the pectoral fins cut off. You know, that's a, a stocked fish versus a wild fish that has both of them. So I just wanted to make that clear real quick. Sure. Okay. So you guys go up to this lake it is the, the sole purpose was to go after lake trout, right? Yep. That's uh, right. Uh, randy himself he's been going up there for uh, 15 years or so and then a few of the other guys it's been kind of a yearly annual tradition once i started going um so this trip this year i had the opportunity to go along so i you know took that opportunity in an instant and just from what i had seen in years past from the fish they had caught up there um last year randy's uncle caught i want to say a 42 incher randy did the same two years ago you know another 42 incher so i knew the potential for big fish was there so i you know, I couldn't pass up that opportunity to get up there. Right. And then going on this trip, how are you preparing to, uh, to go after lake trout? So like talk about some of the tackle, kind of like what the trout like to go after, where they're at this time of year in the lake and that kind of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as far as tackle goes and setup like that, um, what we were all using was either the 38-inch or 40-inch um, Black Rain from JT Outdoor Products. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a heavy action rod. Um, it's a nice, slower parabolic curve compared to some of your faster action, really heavy rods. helps keep those fish pinned up when they're doing those big head shakes. Um, so that helped a lot. We are using a lot bigger reels than you'd use walleye fishing. You know, a lot of us are using either a 2,500 or a 3,000 size spinning reel just so we can fit a lot more line on there because we're generally fishing deep water. Yeah, how deep are you guys fishing? We're fishing anywhere from 35 feet out to 70 feet. Wow. Kind of kind of generally. <clears throat> um, we're set up mainly our main lines. We're using uh, either a 15-pound raid, um, then like a 17 to 20-pound fluorocarbon leader. Um, just beefed up pretty heavily just in case you didn't tie into one of those, you know, really big ones. Okay. And this, this body of water that you're fishing, I, I got to imagine that it's kind of clear. And what is the, what is the structure like or the bottom of the lake? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of the lakes we did fish on, we, you know, looked down the hole just to check the clarity and it's pretty incredible. You could see your bait, even with the windows open on the house and everything pretty bright, you could see your bait, you know, 15, 20 feet down. Okay. Uh, it's all <clears throat> glacial lakes, kind of uh, Canadian shield lakes. So they have all just rock structure for the most part. We did find some soft bottom areas, but most of it's, you know, that big shield, um, rock cliffs and rock faces and everything like that. Okay. So like the structure underwater, when you guys got on this lake, obviously you had some experience, but was there certain landmarks, uh, or contours that you guys were looking underwater to, to see where these fish were at? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the <clears throat> other people that do go up to the lake, since it's not you know, there's a very basic map of the lake, but it's, you know, like I say, very basic. So there are, you can kind of tell if there's a point, a land point sticking out in the lake, there's probably going to be the same thing extending underwater. So that's something that a lot of people will fish. Or if there's a, a shoreline that has a really sharp break, a really steep rock cliff, you know, you might fish up by that. But one thing that we've been doing is fishing mid-lake structure that we can find. Generally, it's not really getting hit by other people because it's not mapped. But whether we've been up there in the boat in the summer and found this or just found it on a whim by drilling holes and, oh, it, it's shallower here in the middle of the lake, so we'll fish that. Um, that's one thing we did find was fishing that mid-lake structure kind of away from the shorelines. Okay. And what was that structure looking like again? Um, it, whether it was just humps or reefs or bars or whatever, it was just some away from shore that came up off the bottom. Okay. And then, so so you... You, you drill and you're, you're finding these different contours and the structure out in the middle of the basin there. What are you guys hole hopping a lot? Or is it once you kind of found the trout, you just kind of sat down and hunkered down and, and, and jigged them up? For the most part, it was kind of just a sit down and wait them out kind of deal. Okay. We, we did do a little bit of hole hopping, but we didn't notice a, <clears throat> a huge difference in our success. So we figured we might as well just stay in one spot and, you know, the trout are pretty much always moving and roaming. And what we had found is, Almost wherever we'd drill a hole, you'd catch fish, so it almost made more sense to us to just hunker down in one spot and at least be comfortable. All right. Now, trout, especially in clear water, when I fish them over here in Michigan, you know, a big thing for me is, like, getting away with the the smallest pound test for, like, fluorocarbon, so that way they don't see that line. It seems like trout and, uh, you know, salmon and things like that have a really keen eye for you know, anything out of the ordinary and the, the smaller the line and the, the, the more clear, the better. What kind of, were you guys using like fluorocarbon or are you tying directly to your main line? 
Yep, we're using uh, fluorocarbon leaders, and one thing we probably could have done is maybe even downsize those a little bit. We okay. did have uh, 20 pound for the most part, and you know there were some fish that would come up and look at it and not hit. So maybe that would have been an opportunity to, to go down to a 15 or 10 pound test and maybe see if that made a difference. Um, but it seemed like the ones that we're going to eat, they had no no hesitation at all. Gotcha. And then uh, were you guys using live bait, like throwing like tip-ups out on the outside or two? Or how many rods can you fish with in Canada, I guess? Um, it's two per person. Okay. And a couple of times we did put out a dead tulip and just lay it on bottom. Um, we never had any action on that, but it's something that, you know, I feel like if you're going to get a fish on that, it's going to be probably that that trip maker. You know, it's going to be a 40-plus. So it's always good to have out even if you're not getting a lot of action on it. Um, okay. But for the most part, our jigging rods we were using – tubes or really big spoons um or what actually ended up being our most productive was just like a, a swim bait head like you'd use for bass fishing a half ounce with a really big wide gap hook and then just uh, a long paddle tail kind of like a kitek style oh okay that ended up being uh, probably the most productive for us did you find out bigger presentations were better versus the smaller ones with the trout so, like, were you using, like, a three-and-a-half to four-inch tube, or were you guys even going bigger than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like kind of that bigger stuff was pretty good. Even the smaller fish, we were catching on the really big tubes and big spoons. I think Colt caught, like, a 15-inch trout on, you know, a four-inch tube. So they're wow. not—they're definitely not shy to come and hit a big bait. Dang, man, that's pretty good. So what was it like hooking into this thing? So you guys—I you, I mean, probably why you threw a lot of line on there, too. My experience with them, too, is— especially through the ice, when you get them, I mean, they flourish in cold water. So it's not like they're going to be more lethargic or kind of easier to bring up like a walleye. When these things hook on, they kind of take you for a ride. Yeah, it's there's really nothing else like it I've ever experienced. And that's kind of what I, what I heard going up is once you hook into one of these, you're going to forget about everything else. Um, they'll chase you from the bottom all the way up to the ice. Um, they'll, you can open your bail and let your lure fall to the bottom as fast as you can and they'll race it down. You know, you can reel up as fast as possible and they're going to catch you on the way up. Um, and when they do hit, you know, even a 30 inch Laker is going to feel like a 50 inch, you know, they just, they have so much power. It's unreal. Yeah. The, the other thing too, is the fight of them. Like we were talking about is it's almost like a different mindset when you've got them on, you know, in an eight inch hole or whatever you got it in. You really got to take your time with it because when they go to peel your drag, you know, they're going to run for a long time. So you're going to be fighting this fish, I don't know, anywhere between five, probably up to 10 minutes, you know, depending on how deep of water you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely keep you on your toes and you got to be ready. You got to have, uh, you got to make sure your drag set right and kind of be adjusting that as you go. Um, you got to be, you know, ready for any time that they could take that run. Actually, one of the, one of the guys in the group, Nate, he had one fish that it, it had to have been a, at least a 40 incher because it came in on the graph for just a second grabbed his bait and took off and it took all of his uh took all of his line all the way to the backing and he actually lost that fish but oh. so it's kind of the ones like that to make you want to go back <laughs> right and then your guys is set up to for the bottom were you guys dropping cameras down there to see what the bottom was looking like before you set up we did have a camera with that we checked just a couple holes just to see if there were fish rolling at the bottom that we might not have marked on a graph if they were, you know, really tight to bottom. Uh-huh. Uh, but for the most part, we were just using our flashers to kind of find where to set up. Um, one thing that the rest of the group had done in the past um, up in Manitoba is, you know, fish dead baits on the bottom with the camera. But kind of something we've seen throughout the years up here is that they don't really have as much 
bottom action on the fish in these Ontario lakes. Okay. Whereas Manitoba fish, they tend to do a lot more feeding along the bottom. I don't know if it's a regional deal or if it's more, if they're kind of a subspecies, but that's kind of one of the patterns that those guys have seen. I wonder if that bottom up in Manitoba was softer or something like that too, you know? I would think that have to have something to do with it. Yeah, something like they can kind of pin it down in there and maybe softer on the jaws or something. Right. So did you guys get into any other fish when you were up there? Um, we did actually have a few uh, incidental walleyes. Um, one of them was probably, ooh, it had to be around a 26-incher. We were fishing, I think we were in 58, 60 feet of water, and we had a fish come shooting up off the bottom. Could have thought for sure it was a lake trout. You know, it crushed a big, uh, a big spoon that Cole was fishing, and kind of caught me by surprise when I was reaching down to grab it over the hole. It was, a, you know, a big old fat walleye. Pretty cool. You know, that's kind of interesting because I think depending on what lake you fish in, especially the d- deeper ones, some guys won't think that the walleye will go out to that deep of water in 60 feet. And, right. and, and, and it's, that's very interesting that they're out there, especially in the winter time. You know what I mean? Like when they're out there in that deep of water, you think they'd be up in the shallows trying to feed, but that's nuts that they were out there that deep. Cause we've got some lakes up here in Northern Michigan where I've heard of guys setting those tip ups out in that 50 to 60 feet of water. And then it seems like sometimes that's the only spot where they can catch the walleye. Yeah, it definitely caught me by surprise. And you'd, you'd think maybe a fish out in, you know, 60 feet of water is just kind of lethargic, maybe just kind of spending the day resting and then it's going to slide up shallow to feed. But just the way that fish ate, it was definitely in an aggressive mood because it just shot off the bottom and crushed his spoon. Right. How many fish can you keep in there in Canada? Any? I believe it's two lake trout per day. Okay. Somewhere on that, we kept uh, three or four between the group, you know, so we didn't limit out or anything but we want to say it's two per day did you guys cook them up pardon me did you guys cook them up i haven't had them yet no randy and a few other guys took them home i'm not sure if they're gonna smoke them or how they're gonna prepare them they're good man i catch them in the summertime i like them a lot of guys just the only way they say that they'll eat them that the you know is to throw them in the smoker but i just like them throwing them on the grill with a little bit of lemon and salt on them they taste great sure yeah i've kind of heard uh, mixed reviews from other people kind of saying the same that they will only eat them smoked or some other people like you say that yeah they are a lot better on the grill but i've uh haven't had the opportunity to try one yet so maybe next time i'll have to take one home for myself yeah i think it depends on what they're eating too i know in the the great lakes over here when they're feeding on like the owl wives they can get pretty nasty and taste kind of bad but since the owl wife population has been dropping they've been feeding more on like gobies and stuff like that and when they're eating the alewives, alewives lack a vitamin B1 called thiamine. And the gobies have the thiamine. And the lake trout need this vitamin in order to reproduce. And since they're kind of changing their diet back to gobies and less alewives, some folks are, are theorizing that that also has an effect on the, the, the taste quality of the lake trout. Yeah, I could definitely see that. All right, man. Well, cool. That's... I'm glad you guys did get up there. So you got the, you got the lake trout bug now. Yeah, I'll definitely be back. I mean, there are, we do have kind of limited lake trout opportunities here in Minnesota. Um, it's, it's nothing in comparison though to Canada. So I'm definitely already planning my next trip to get back up there. How's Malax been this winter? Oh, it's been, it's been pretty good. I, uh, even just a few years ago, it'd be kind of my yearly trip where it's all, it's so far away. It's, you know, a three hour drive for me, but now I'm finding myself every year, even just making day trips out there, getting out there as much as I can. Um, it's a great fishery this year. It's been really good. Um, I've made a handful of trips out there already. 
you know, early ice, generally you're starting on those shoreline breaks. As the ice gets better and the season progresses, you're getting out into those mud flats. Um, so I've had good days early ice out there, and then I was out pretty recently out fishing the mud, and that was always good as well. Tell the folks why they like to go out to the mud versus the, the reefs when they move out there. Uh, there'll be fish, you know, in all throughout the season, summer or winter, there'll be fish that you can catch on the shoreline breaks. You can catch them on the reefs. You can catch them on the mud. But there are definitely, you know, noticeable movements of big concentrations of fish that'll move out to the mud either mid-summer or mid-winter. Um, a lot of it has to do with <clears throat> that mud, I believe, has a lot more bugs in it. You know, it's got bug hatches and stuff like that coming up out of the mud. Right. And whether the walleyes are feeding on the bugs themselves or the tulipies and perch are feeding on the bugs and then the walleyes are following them eating those bait fish. Um, that mud seems to just hold big concentrations of fish at certain times of the year. So when you guys go out to the muds, are you changing your presentation as to how you would have it when they're um, over like on the reefs and like the hard bottom? Uh, at times we are. A lot of the times you can catch them on the same things. Um, in the summer especially, you'll notice a difference. In the Up in the rocks and on shorelines, we'll be fishing a lot more jigs, maybe jigging wraps. Um, out in the mud, I like to, since it's a lot more spread out, you're covering a lot of area that's kind of the same, you know, just a straight contour. Mm-hmm. I'll be fishing a lot of spinners, um, rigs, stuff I can move a little bit faster with. Do you match the bugs like wigglers and stuff like that? Do you guys put them on your hooks? In Minnesota, we really don't see a lot of that stuff. Um, okay. So I guess we will do is if there's a big bug hatch with mayflies or fishflies, we'll do something like a spinners or a smiley blade, just a really small, light plastic blade on a half a crawler, something like that, just to sort of imitate a bug. Okay. And that, that tends to work pretty well. Um, another, even <clears throat> kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, when they're eating bugs, Sometimes they won't hit that, and you'll have to go really, really big and really, really fast just to get a reaction strike out of them, something that's just completely polar opposite of what they're eating right now. Right. I tell you what, man, that was when – when I was out there this fall with you guys on the Lax, that was some of the most fun I've ever had fishing, especially with just the jig and the minnow in your hand, you know what I mean, on some light tackle. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a – it's an incredible fishery, you know. There's a lot of uh, kind of a lot of debate and turmoil surrounding it. But if uh, if there's someone listening that's never been out there, I recommend just taking a even just a half day just to go try it out. Um, generally, you can catch fish on whatever type of structure you want. You can usually catch them however you want. There's just so many fish in that system, and it's it's really just a fun time. Would you be able to shed a little bit of light on what that turmoil is a little bit, and kind of the debate of where folks are going back and forth between game management and just the average angler and what their thoughts are yeah there's kind of been a kind of an ongoing debate for just a few years you know between the dnr and a lot of sportsmen and resorts and stuff like that um kind of the basic overview of it is the dnr is either completely closed down harvest for walleyes or they've made it you know or you can just keep one um there's other certain regulations like no live bait um no fishing after 10 p.m all these special regulations um, and a lot of the, kind of a lot of the worry from people is, oh, if, if people aren't allowed to go there and keep their four or their, <clears throat> or their six walleyes, they're going to go to different lakes and, you know, the resorts are going to suffer, stuff like that. Um, I'm sure there is, has been some of that from people that, you know, they want to go out and keep their fish, but there still has been a, a big, um, influx of anglers there fishing for either the smallmouth or the walleyes, even though you can only keep one or keep zero at sometimes it still does have the traffic and I think the resorts are still doing all right. 
Um, everyone has their opinion on that. Right. And it, did they change it for this winter? Because I know when I was in there, uh, out there in the fall, we couldn't keep anything. Yeah. Yeah. Last fall it was, uh, you could not keep any. And right now, um, you can keep one from 21 to 23 inches or one over 28. So there are, you know, there are a lot of fish in that 21 to 23 inch slot. So you do still have your opportunity to take one to home to eat. Um, I mean, that's a good size fish. That's going to, a 22 inch walleye is going to feed a family of two or three, you know, right. Bear. Um, and then you also do have that chance if you catch a 30 inch or to keep it for the wall. So does, is the DNR or your, your fishing game, they're changing this all the time. So it's, it's gotta be something like, do they put it in the rules and regulations in your fishing handbook? Or is it something that you really got to be in tune with when you go to the lake? Cause it can change, they can change their, their recommendations or their, their bag limits, uh, mm-hmm. you know, every couple months. Yeah, you definitely have to kind of pay attention to it. I believe that it only changes, you know, they won't change something during the season when it's active. They'll either change it in the off season or right before season starts. Okay. I guess one of the things that did change during the season is in the summer months, they'll have it set so you can't fish live bait after a certain date or you can't fish after 10 p.m. after a certain date. Um, but those regulations are put in place, you know, in the off season. So you're you're ready. You know about it before it happens. Um, there's not really any... Uh, regulations being changed kind of on a day by day or a week by week basis, you know, you kind of know about it, but yeah, that lake is like, it's like the golden goose almost, you know, no one knows how to handle it. Sometimes they don't want it to get too out of control. And, uh, like you said, between the resorts and the anglers, you know, kind of, you know, going against the game and recommendation, our DNR game and wildlife recommendations, everyone wants to keep it, alive and thriving but i think everyone has a different opinion of when the lake is doing good and when the lake is suffering right yeah there's there's really no right answer for it and and there's not really any one solution to to how to manage it properly i mean it seems like you know when the fishing's really good and you know that might give you an indication that maybe the fish aren't having as much forage base and they're you know are obviously trying to eat a lot more whereas when the fishing's tough maybe the fish are fat and healthy and they're getting a lot to eat um, so it, it is kind of hard to determine that balance and what, uh, what the health status of the lake really is. Um, but in my opinion, it seems like it's doing really well. Um, but we'll see, you know, what the, what it has to do for the years to come here. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good musky lake too, right? Um, I've only fished it a couple of times. Um, from what I've heard from others that have spent a lot more time out there is years ago, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was one of the best. It's kind of gone downhill a little bit. I don't know if, what that has to do with um, seasonal cycles or just kind of the boom and bust nature of lakes like that or stocking levels. I haven't really kept too um, up to tabs on that. Um, but what I do in all of it is that if you are looking to catch up that fish for a lifetime, you know, 40, 50 pounder, that's probably going to be the place to do it in October, November when they're eating big tulipies. Right. Now, I mean, Malax aside or maybe this – might impact a little bit. It seems like the musky fishing is be is, is really growing not only in Minnesota but all throughout the Midwest and wherever um, the DNR can find habitats where they thrive and they do well. Do you think that has a, a huge impact on the other fish that are in the the fishery as well, like the walleye or the perch populations, and finding that perfect balance? Because I feel. The articles I read, there's a lot of controversy out there yeah. because the, there's a huge, uh, you know, 
musky craze going on right now for to attract not only anglers but you know just it, it's almost like it's a, no, a whole new form of tourism and um it's getting a lot more people involved in uh, in the sport and and some guys are rooting for the musky to be stocked more and the walleye guys are like you're you're destroying the population yeah uh, the musky fishing is definitely a probably one of the fastest growing segments of the sport right now it's it's really blowing up and i mean there's always been people that have fished for them but with the new opportunities and kind of people trying to try new things it's definitely growing in size a lot um and yeah anytime you change the structure of the you know food chain of an ecosystem there's going to be an impact but the uh the dnr here in minnesota takes their time and they you know they research these lakes and everything to make sure that if they do change something it's going to affect it neutrally or positively they're not gonna you know they're not just gonna go willy-nilly throw a bunch of muskies in this pond over here just because they think it'll be good you know they they take their time they do their research to make sure that it's that it's a suitable um, lake to support them uh, one of the things one of the factors that they do for a lot of these musky stocking lakes is that it's got to have a, a really good forage base of either whitefish or tulipy um, and that's what all the big fish in the lakes are going to feed on you know if they only have if they don't have tulipy or whitefish then those muskies are going to start feeding more on uh, suckers possibly perch panfish so lakes got to have a good a good base of tulipy to give those muskies a good forage base so they're not you know looking towards a lot of other species okay yeah it's interesting i mean in the state of michigan it's growing so much and you know lake st Clair is such a factory for muskie that, that's a huge lake but more more and more the dnr we're reading articles about where they're stocking them here on our northern lakes in in michigan and it's one of those things it's like, you know, I hope it doesn't get out of control and, and impact the, the ecosystem too much, but it's, I don't think we'll know that until a few years down the road. Right. Yeah. You, you hear it a lot, um, especially kind of where I am. There's a couple lakes pretty close to me that the, like the lake associations have been pretty vocal about their uh, disagreement with the stocking muskies and um, trying to get it stopped, trying to reverse it. Um, and I, you know, that's fair. If I, if I lived on a lake and they're changing how things were, I'd probably be hesitant about it as well. Right. Uh, but, you know, the DNR has done a lot of surveys and they've determined that muskies are not, you know, causing a negative impact on the lake. And in a lot of cases, they're actually improving the structure of the lake, whether it be the size structure of other fish, just the numbers in general. Um, you know, they're not, they're not just going out and killing and eating everything like that, you know, adding a, uh, adding a top of the line predator to an ecosystem generally is going to, you know, improve the structure of that ecosystem. Yeah. And, and musky, I mean, that's a hard fish too, to introduce and take. They're very, um, I guess the word would be delicate. You know, there's, you gotta be careful when you handle them, when you get them to the boat and things like that, because you know, they can, they can go south pretty quick on you. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. You would, uh, you'd kind of think the opposite. You'd think, you know, a little perch might be super delicate and sensitive and this big, you know, four foot long fish is going to be so robust and, and tough, but you really, they really aren't, you know, it's, it's, you definitely have to treat them with care and it's, it can be very easy for them to, uh, to pass away or, you know, not make it when you're handling them, especially in hot weather. Yeah. You always hear about them too, going in the shallows to bake in the sun and getting hit by props and things like that, because, you know, people just, they just don't see them but they're they look like huge logs in the water yeah for sure for sure um all right the other thing i want to get into with you because you and i share a common passion and that's that's the tiller life that's right that's right <laughs> so i had the 
I, it was cool. So when I came out this fall to Malax to do the, the fishing trip with you guys, um, I contacted you right away because I knew you had a tiller and I was like, I want to go hang out with my boy that, that rocks the tiller too. <laughs> um, you know, this time of year, a lot of anglers are either changing their boat setups or, you know, maybe they're, maybe they don't have a boat yet or they're trying to upgrade. Let's just talk about a little bit of what we like about tillers versus, you know, like a steering column setup and, uh, just, just your experience with it on, on some of the lakes that you fish with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, uh, I have ran both console boats and tiller boats in the past. Um, and kind of what I've kind of got into and what I've figured out works best for me in the lakes that I fish is that tiller platform. Um, like I say, I fish pretty close to, and I fish mainly in the Detroit lakes, Otter Tail County area. Um, and if you're in Otter Tail County, if you're familiar with it, I don't know if there's one spot in the entire county where you can stand and throw a rock without hitting water. So there's, you know, there's so many different types of lakes in the area, whether it's Otter Tail County or Otter Tail Lake itself, which is uh, 11, 12,000 acres, something like that, or one of the thousand little pothole lakes. I wanted a platform that I could fish all those different lakes effectively. I wanted to be able to get into those really little lakes and not have too big of a setup where I'm, you know, not be able to control the boat nice or it's just too big. But I also wanted to be able to fish lakes like Otter Tail or head out east and fish Mille Lacs and not be, you know, outnumbered or, I mean, underpowered in those uh, scenarios. And I felt like a, a tiller platform is good for that. It gives me a lot of space. You know, I've got a wide open platform. I can do everything I want to do on it. Um, mine specifically is an 18 footer, which I feel like is a perfect size for, you know, anything from the small lakes up to, I've even had that boat out on Lake Superior. So one is the space, which is huge. I think what, what anglers need to look at, and this is what I did because, you know, I, I'm not sure what you do, but I fish a lot alone. So when I'm by myself a lot, that for me, it's easier to, to trailer and get that, that, you know, I have a 16 and a half foot, you have an 18 foot on and off by myself. And, you know, as you know, like when you're trailer, trailer in the boat by yourself or you're launching, sometimes that space on the inside of the boat, regardless of the fishing space, it's just nice to be able to run up and down or run back and forth. I know when you trailered your boat, you just book it to the front and hurry up and hook it up. And then while the motor's still kind of thrusting forward, then you get back and, and, and kill the motor. But it, it's almost like the perfect single man fishing vessel. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way. I do a lot of, I do a lot of fishing by myself and it kind of with any boat, you'll kind of find your routine of, you know, make getting a quick launch and loading it back up. Um, another thing with that space and being able to go back and forth throughout the boat without anything in your way, that's so critical. I think when you're musky fishing, especially if you have a, you know, a big fish hooked boat side, you want to be able to run a circle around that boat unobstructed you know you don't want to have to try to jump over a windshield or jump through the through the door in the windshield when you got a big fish like that hooked up and that's that's one of the nice things about the tiller is just the the wide open platform i really just like that for what it allows you to do you know you can you can do anything right? you could you can throw downriggers on that boat and you can throw you know whatever that thing is completely set up for multi-species whatever you want to do with it how do you find it for um trolling purposes there are, there are some instances where, you know, where a console boat's going to be a little bit better in trolling because you, you're obviously able to fish out of the back without that tiller handle in your way. Right. But I've, like I say, I've trolled with it on Superior. 
I throw Moskies out of it. I've thrown Ledcore out of it. I they do. I can get downrigger brackets for that boat, and if I wanted to fish that out of it, um, that's really what draws me to the Tiller platform. Is it's so geared towards multi-species. You can set it up for whatever you're doing that day, complete to set it up differently for what you're doing the next day, and still, you know, all on all on one platform. Right. And the other good thing too is, um, you know, the rivers too. If you live by areas where the rivers, and you're let's say you're jigging for walleye in the spring or whatever, having that open platform can, you can, A, I think you can have more room in the boat and more guys in the boat that are more comfortable, especially when, you know, for us, when we jig in uh, the springtime on the Detroit river, when I have my tiller, I just, I love it because that council, it takes up more room than you think. And if you don't have the boat, like if you don't have a, a larger boat, like an 18 or, you know, 21 foot boat where you can make up that room in other places, it can get pretty tight on a 16 foot boat. Um, you know, and you're trying to jig in the river and, you know, run the trolling motor and guys are kind of on top of each other. And that open platform for me has really opened my eyes to, you know, you know, so it's almost like I want to keep it forever. Almost like I've always got to have a tiller in my, in my barn in addition to whatever else I get. Right. Yeah. You can, that's another thing you can get away with a, you know, a 16 and a half or 18 foot tiller versus a bigger boat just because you do have that extra space. Um, so if you are, you know, boat shopping on a budget, you can save a little bit of money. You get that same boat space on a smaller platform and a smaller motor. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Another thing that, that really fits me well with the tiller platform is I do, t- I don't do any really formal guiding. You know, I'll take people out here and there that are, um, inexperienced or maybe new to the new to angling, or I just like taking out friends, you know, that might not fish as much as I do. It's really nice in that tiller platform where I can be in my driver's seat. I have my graphs at my fingertips. I've got tackle trays at my feet. I've got my live well just on my right hand or my left hand. Um, I've got, you know, obviously the engine in my hand, I'm steering there. I can run my bow mount trolling motor from a remote. So I have my entire office, my entire, you know, running everything is in that one little four foot section of the boat. And then I've, I've got the other 14 feet of boat to allow the, my guests to be able to be in. Yeah. They They can be up on that front deck casting, or they can be sitting up there with seats, you know, watching slip bobbers. I can control the whole experience from that back four feet of the boat. Yeah. And I think that's important. I mean, you always hear it as boat control. I feel like it's one of the instances where if you're on top of fish and you're roaming in an area, you can really, I, I feel you have better control with the tiller because you can, it's easier to put it in reverse right there. You can back troll with it. You can, you can really hone in on the fish and look at your sonar right there. Um, some guys might agree with that with the council, but, uh, for me, having that tiller and that screen and everything in reverse right there, just about the flick of a button, uh, back and forth, I feel like you can stay on top of the fish a little bit better and then set your spot lock after that. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge factor. Definitely when looking at a tiller versus a windshield boat, um, especially the kind of the way we fish up in Northern Minnesota here, a lot of it's, um, contour fishing, you know, a lot of sharp drop-offs and contours, um, a lot of live bait rigging. Um, as opposed to some other, you know, um, fisheries where they're doing a lot of just open water trolling where it's kind of just out in the middle of nowhere, but out in, you know, Northern Minnesota doing a lot of that spot on the spot type stuff and a, a tiller platform. If you're, if you get good at back trolling, you can stay on such a tight contour. It's, it's ridiculous compared to, you know, you can, you can do pretty well with a bow mount trolling motor, whether it's in a tiller or a windshield boat, but being able to back troll, have that 
that flat transom against the wind and being able to go, you know, steering in reverse, just the precision you have with that and the response being able to steer with that tiller rotor back trolling is, it's really second to none. And what size motor do you have on yours? Uh, I run a 94 stroke on mine. 94 stroke. And that's plenty of, plenty of motor to get you, get you to yeah. where you're going. I remember you let me drive it for a little bit and that thing had, that thing hauled some ass across the lake. Yeah. I feel like that's in my mind anyways, everyone obviously has different preferences and needs for whatever tool they're using. But I feel like that 18 foot 90 horse platform is so, so versatile and can cover so many bases. You know, I can, like I say, I've had it on superior, but I can also have it out on 500 acres. You know, I can, it, it's fast enough and large enough where I can get out of big waves or be in big winds if I need to, but it's also small enough and it's a relatively affordable boat um, in the grand scheme of things. So I feel like that's kind of the, kind of the perfect platform in my mind. Yeah, dude, I agree. It, all right. And everyone else listening out there, if you're, I know you are, but I am as well. If you're a duck hunter, this, this boat can be used for duck hunting as well. Throwing all your gear in and getting out to your spot with that same open platform that yeah. we're talking about with the wide bow and everything, you can haul a lot of gear on mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I know, uh, my boat's kind of, it's got a lot of, uh, you know, rod locker and other stuff like that taking up space. But one of the boats we do have at work is, uh, I work at a boat dealership in Moorhead. If the listeners didn't know that, uh, one of the boats that we, you know, do sell a few of is the Lund Alaskan, which is just a pretty basic wide open platform. But that 18 or 20 foot Alaskan, you could, you could park a four wheeler in that thing and just drive it, you know, where you're going, you know, those tillers are so wide open. You can, you know, do so much with them. Yeah, they're huge on the bays over in here too. I know a lot of guys when they're trying to look for that perfect setup and they're debating on what, what boat to get, you know, if you, if you really look at your, your overall preference and this more aligns a lot with duck hunters like you and I, and things like that, you know, if you think about your boat and what the setup is, you can use it in the fall. We've used it for layout boat hunting, my boat, uh, to throw the layouts and the decoys in when we're, uh, when we're hunting Saginaw Bay. And, and it's easy to do because there's not a lot of seats in the way. I can take them out. You can throw all that gear up on there. I take, for the most part, I take a lot of my fishing stuff out of there and I can turn that boat into, you know, just a basic, uh, you know, hauling machine for, for decoys and layout boats and things like that. Easy to get in and out of. And, you know, it's, it's a question you got to ask yourself and I'm, I'm going to do some more podcasts on other boats that are out there coming up because, you know, we're trying to, we're starting to get into boat show season, um, starting in the month of February, I know here in Michigan, I know you guys are getting into it too in Minnesota, but you know, just, I just think it's helpful for guys to hear conversations like this about kind of like what we run, um, when, when purchasing that, that next boat, cause it's a big decision. Right. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, it, it all does come down to kind of just like anything in outdoor recreation. It, there's a lot of stuff that comes down to personal preference and what fits you, whether it's what fits you for your area, for your style of fishing, stuff like that. Um, and I guess one thing I would recommend is if someone's in the market for a boat and they're not really sure, get out with a couple of buddies that have different style boats, you know, get out with a buddy that's got a big fiberglass full windshield boat, fish with him for a day, you know, get out with a buddy with a 16 and a half foot tailor, fish with him for a day and kind of take note of, oh, in this situation, I really wish I had that. Or in this boat, man, it'd be nice to have that. And you can kind of, even if you're not the one running the boat, you can kind of figure out what would fit good for your scenario and kind of what works well. Yeah, it's it's easy to pick out the boat when you're sitting on your lazy boy and you're like, man, I want that that Ranger Fisherman, you know, six twenty one or whatever, because I could do this, this, and this. But then you got to ask yourself, am I really going to be out in 
you know, five and six foot waves? Am I going to push it out there? Or am I the type of guy that typically goes back when I'm in the four footers? You know, that's, right. you know, that's the question I always ask myself. I'm not tournament fishing, so I'm not going to be just, you know, hauling ass and going in six foot waves to get somewhere. For me right now in my life, it makes sense for, for the tiller. Um, although I'm facing the dilemma because, you know, mommy doesn't like the tiller very much and we've got the little girls. So she wants to get a boat that we can start taking out and kind of joyriding in a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's tough for me to go, you know, to have two boats, but if I can talk her into keeping the, the lawn, the 94 pro V and just getting, like yeah. a, getting like a fishing ski, I might be able to get away with it. Or at least that's what I'm banking for right now. Right. You got it. You got to plan on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, man. Well, Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can, um, where can folks see more of you and, uh, what you're up to? Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Um, they can find me and I guess my group at, uh, hang loose outdoors. We're on Facebook, Instagram. We do actually have a website that we post a weekly blog, just kind of what we're up to, uh, fishing reports, hunting reports, stuff like that. Um, that's hangloosoutdoors.com. Uh, me personally, you can find, uh, I'm on Facebook or Instagram, um, Instagram forest leech. Um, so I, that's kind of where I'm probably the most active. I share stuff on that fishing, hunting, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I got going on. Yeah. And it's cool. Like you, even on your guys's website, you guys have all your contact information for each one of you on there. So if you guys are listening to this, you have questions about if you were planning a lake trout trip, um, like Forrest just got back from, uh, is that okay if folks hit you up on, uh, the contact information you guys provide? Yep. Yeah. If you go on our website, um, we do have our blog, like I said, but otherwise we've got, um, kind of our contact us page and our staff page there. And that's got kind of our little, uh, bios of each and every one of us and kind of what we do, um, as well as our, like I say, our contact information on there. Oh, cool, man. Well, cool. Hey, so what are you getting ready for next? You getting, uh, you getting the open water itch? Oh, I've had the open water itch since I parked the boat. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I love ice fishing, but there's, I really can't compare it to open water. It's just kind of what I've really grown to love a lot. But, uh, as far as the, the near future here, um, I'll be doing some more, you know, crappie and panfish kind of as the midwinter walleye lull kind of sets in, I'll be doing a little more panfish. Um, the eel pout burbot bite that'll be getting getting fired up here within the next few weeks um oh man that's my favorite i love that that's incredible nothing like it and then uh probably gonna try to do lakers one more time and then maybe the late ice um pike up on lake of the woods and you know before we know it i'll be on the rainy river yeah hey are you still interested in coming over here to hit the detroit river oh it's in the back of my mind you know it's it's a very busy time of year for me that's springtime pre-spawn so I've got a lot going on, but you know, sooner than later, it'll, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah, dude, hit me up if you want to come over. It's usually around, uh, mid April to early May that we'll be down there hitting it hard. But if you find some time just for sure in a cheap flight, just fly out here. I got everything you need. Yep. You got the tiller ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Take care. You bet. See ya. All right. See ya. That's it. That's all folks. That's episode number 15 with my buddy Forrest. Remember to hit him up on Instagram and check out hangloosoutdoors.com. Follow along with their blog and check out all their, their fishing adventures that those guys go on. And they provide a lot of great information, you know, fishing reports, what they're doing to, to put fish in the boat, etc. All right, guys, that's it. We're Stay tuned for another episode coming up here in the near future. Remember to follow me over on Instagram at Freshwater Bite. We also have a Facebook page, the Freshwater Bite Podcast. And remember to subscribe. And I would really, really appreciate it if you left the rating. So... Tight lines, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.